Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Moms, you guys are heroes, man. I, I love you for that. Um, it's selfless, sacrificial, making sure everybody's taken care of. Um, I love celebrating Mother's Day. But uh, I do want to acknowledge something that Mother's Day can be a, a tough holiday for some as well. Uh, there's some in, in here today that this is your first Mother's Day that you're celebrating without your mom. Um, or, uh, or maybe you'd love to be a mom one day, but that opportunity has not been afforded to you yet. God hadn't blessed you in that way. And so you're still praying and and uh, hoping on that, that opportunity. And, and maybe you're not able to be with, with your mother today and maybe your kids aren't here and so it's maybe a, a bummer for Mother's Day. But just wanna encourage you, man, the Bible says that God is near to those who are brokenhearted. So wherever you find yourself, whatever stage of life, stage of motherhood, stage of anticipation and prayer uh, that you find yourself in today, I want to offer you a, a little encouragement uh, on that. Uh, I want to share with you a story out of 2 Kings chapter 4. This is a, a wild story. You want to talk about some ups and downs in a mom's life. And if anybody knows that life is full of ups and downs with family and, and friends and situations and just life coming at you really fast, uh, those people are moms. Uh, and so I want to share with you a story out of 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, if you have your app, all of the scripture will be there and all the points. And uh, let's, let's read this story about this incredible mom in, in scripture. Here, here's how the story starts out. Uh, one day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that meal, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. We see this mom and get introduced to this mom, but interestingly enough, we never know her name. She's simply referred to as the Shunammite woman because she was a woman that lived in Shunam. And so we don't, we don't know her name. This is the only story that we read about her in scripture, but I guess that's pretty fitting though. Um, because when you think about the moms in the rooms and just moms in, in general, uh, well, we, we, we see moms are behind the scenes ga- gals. Like they, they, everything they do is for others. They're not in it to make a name for themselves. They're not in it to, to pat themselves on the back or to get some kind of recognition. Like if you're a mom, you know that. If you have a mom, you know that. She didn't do anything for herself. And so like not even knowing this mom's, this, this woman's name doesn't act as a surprise to us. She's more known for what she does and her attitude and her actions than like her name being made famous or being made known in any way. One thing we do know about this woman is she must have been one great cook because the bible says elisha came over to her house one time she threw down in the kitchen and after that every single time elisha went to shunem he stopped at this woman's house i don't know how she's cooking that fried chicken but it must have been good because he wants to be he's like seriously every time we're i don't care like if we have to go the long way we're going to go by shunem and we're going to stop inside this woman's house so we can get some of that food uh scripture says the, the verse that i read just said that she was a very wealthy woman but maybe if you're reading from a different translation um some translations say the word great this woman was great and great not just in wealth but she was great in a lot of other areas. That word great in, in this context means she's a woman of great wisdom, 
of great discernment, of great maturity, of great wealth. I mean, this was like a girl boss, man, like all around. This is just like the moms in here, man. You're not good at just one thing. You're good at all of the stuff. You're, you're great women of, of God. And this is what this Shunammite woman was as well. And so she had a lot going for her. She cooked a mean meal, and, and all of a sudden, Elijah found himself stopping at this lady's house every time he was going through this town. Verse 9, so uh, she said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. She looks at this man and knows that he's a man of God. When, when you hear the word prophet in the Old Testament, just think of the word uh, preacher. Um, this is a, an individual, a man that God gave a specific message to, to go and preach to a specific location. And so he traveled around all the time. And so God did not give Elisha a credit card that said, hey, when you buy your meals and when you pay for your hotel, just swipe this card, the bill goes to heaven, I'll take care of it. Like when you were a prophet of God, you paid your own way to do ministry. Like you just, you just hustled. And so this woman realized this about Elisha. He says, man, I, I can tell like this man is a man of God. Like this guy has the presence of God on him. I can just tell by the way he talks and what he says and how he carries himself. And so he looks at her husband and said, look, we need to help this guy. I want to help him. And, and I don't, I'm not talking about just giving him a free meal when he comes by. This is what I want to do. Like I want us to build an addition onto our home. Like, I've seen a few HGTV shows, okay? Like, fix her up or list it or love it, whatever. I got this, honey. Like, we can do this together. And so she convinces her husband somehow that they're going to build this new room, this extra bedroom onto their house so that whenever Elisha comes by, he will actually have a, a, a place to stay and, and gift him that, like, honor this guy that has, has decided to follow Jesus or follow God and, and preach God's message. So one day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to his upper room to rest. And he said to his servant, Gehazi, who's traveling with him, he said, tell the woman from Shunem that I want to speak with her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? And here's what the, this, this woman replied. No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Man, isn't that just like a mom? Like this, this guy, Elisha, just like, man, I love this girl. She's a great cook. She's giving us a free place to stay. Man, she's really serving us, really helping us. Like hospitality, top notch, man. Like five stars on Yelp in this woman's house. Like what can we do for her? Let's ask her what we can do. Let's ask her how we can serve her and how we can hook her up. Like, Elisha knew a lot of popular people, a lot of powerful people, a lot of rich people. He knew the king. He's like, you want any favors? You need anything? Like, I, I can throw your name around and, 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 like, do you a favor, help you out in any way that I can. And what, what did this woman say? She's like, no, nah, I'm good. That's just like a mom. Like, I just want to make sure everybody else is okay. Like, I'm going to put myself last. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to be selfless. I don't need anything, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm here to help others, like, I don't know if your mom's like my mom, but I asked my mom, like, what do you want for Mother's Day? She's like, nothing, I don't need anything. I got everything. Like, just, I, I'm, I got you, I got your brother. I'm, and she said me, which means I was her favorite. And so I get that and I understand that. I was like, yeah, I know I'm a gift to you, mom. 
But that's just like moms, right? They don't demand anything. They don't ask anything. They don't don't say, you need to do something for me. They're constantly asking how I can serve you, how I can give to you. And this woman would give her the opportunity for something to be done for her. She's like, you know what? My family takes good care of me. Man, they they love me and they care for me. And so, like, I'm good. I don't really really need it. I'm I'm thankful. I'm blessed. I'm satisfied with where I am right now and in my stage of life and what God is doing. Well, later, Elisha asked the servant again, what can we do for her? Seriously, like, there's got to be something, some way that we can help her, something that she wants. Do a little research. Gehazi replied, well, she doesn't have a son, and her husband is an old man. All right, we'll call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year, at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. And here's what the woman said. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Scholars don't tell us that, that, that she didn't have any kids. She just didn't have a son, which means their family lineage wouldn't live on beyond the, the husband and the father. And the, the husband was old. And so scripture is basically saying this lady can't have a, a baby. She's, her, her idea, her dream of having a son and continuing her family was, was gone. And so Elisha looks at her and says, next year, this time, I'm going to come back. And when I get here next year, you're going to be standing right here in this doorway holding a son in your arms. And the lady had an interesting response that gives us a little insight into what she's been going through in her life. She said, don't play with me like that. Don't get my hopes up. Don't tell me this was going to happen. What this shows us is like this would have been a desire for her that she would have been anticipating and desiring for a long time. She's wanted a son. She's wanted something. She's wanted this addition to her home. But for some reason, she wasn't able to get it. She's wanted that. And maybe even well-meaning people were looked at her and said, like, you know, this, maybe this time next year, you're going to be celebrating Mother's Day and you'll, you'll be a mom. Maybe this time next year, you'll have a son. And I'm telling you, something deep inside of me thinks that this time next year, this is your year. This is going to happen. And her emotions are up and down and, and heartbreak and sorrow. And she looks at Elisha and says, you don't understand how many negative pregnancy tests I've gotten back. You don't know how many conversations I've had with doctors. You don't know how many times that we've just given up on the fact that I'll ever be able to have a son, that I'll ever be able to get pregnant again. And i got to be honest with you, Elisha, I was just getting to the point where I was accepting it, where I was at peace about it. And it's like, all right, so maybe this is not going to work out. So don't play with my emotions. Don't toy with me like that. And Elisha left. Elisha is ultimately going to get the last laugh because in verse 17 it says, but sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son just as Elisha had said. One day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly the little boy cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of his servants, carry him home to his mother. How about that for a dad move right there, right? Your kids get hurt. They come in running in the house crying. Dad's like, go to your mom. Go to your mom. Mom will fix it. I don't know what to do. Like I'm busy right now. I don't know how to fix it. Moms can kiss boo-boos and make all the pain go away. Like that's, that's fine. But go to your mother. This little kid's like, dad, my head's hurt. He's playing outside with his dad. He sends a servant. Hey, go tell him, take us to his mom. Mom will know what to do. Mom's got the first aid kit. Moms can solve all problems. Like moms, moms have it. So he sends them inside and, and her day gets worse. 
Because in verse 20 it says, So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap, but around noontime he died. See, come to find out it wasn't just a minor headache. Something had happened, and the pain led to the child's death. A child dying in the arms of his mom. Worst possible case scenario for a parent. And yet this is exactly where this woman is. Now look at how this mom responded to the worst thing that could ever happen to her. In verse 21, she carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. The husband said, why are you gonna go today? He asked, it's, it's not a new moon festival, it's not a Sabbath. Like, this isn't like a special religious occasion. Like, the, the man didn't realize that the son had died. And so he just gets a message from his wife saying, hey, I'm gonna go see the preacher. Like, I'm gonna go call Elisha. I'm going to go see Elisha. And he's like, why? Like, it's not a festival. It's not a religious holiday. It's not Sunday. Like, what, what are we doing? What's, what's the holdup? He doesn't understand it. But here's what she said. She says, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. Husband had no idea what was going on, no idea that the son had died. And in this mom's worst case scenario, I want you to see what happened. Immediately, her faith kicked into action. Immediately, instead of turning away from God, she turned towards God. Immediately she sent the equivalent of like an Uber request. Get the donkey, bring the donkey to me. I'm getting ready to go on a trip and I'm going to see this man of God. Did not take no for an answer. Verse 25, as she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. So he looked over to his servant Gehazi. Hey, look, the, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you and your husband and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi. When the servant ran out and said, is everything okay with you and your husband and your child? She said, yes, yep, everything is, everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught a hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff down on the child's face. She rolls up into town and, and looks at Elisha in the face and said, I told you. I told you when you told me I'd have a son that I didn't want to get my heart broken again. I told you that I, I didn't want to go through this again. I told you that, that I didn't want to be disappointed. And yet here we are, and my son has died. Here we are, and I'm experiencing the same disappointment, the same hurt, and the same heartache that I told you I didn't want to experience, that I told you I didn't want to do. And in response, Elisha gives his staff to the servant. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to run home and I want you to put this, cert, this staff on top of the boy's body. And the inference here from scripture is that when his staff would be on top of the boy's body, that the boy would rise back from the dead. 
And so he tells him, gives him those specific instructions. Don't talk to anybody. Don't stop and use the bathroom. Go straight from here to there. Walk in there. Put the staff on top of the boy and, and see what happens. And listen what the mom did. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Isn't that just like a mom? Like, I am not leaving here until I get this problem solved. I am not, like dads would have been like, all right, great, I'll follow the servant home. Moms are like, nope, Elisha, you're coming with me. Get your suitcase, get your button gear, we're going, let's go. We're going to my house, come on. Not gonna take no for an answer. You are coming with me. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him the child is still dead. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he laid down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, like literally just face to face with the child in the room. And he put his hands on the child's hands and he stretched out on him. The child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. What? This woman goes from the best life ever to the worst day ever to now, and a few hours later, she can hear through the door her dead son is now allergic to something in the room because he's sneezing seven times in a row. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi, call the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elisha said, here, take your son. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried her downstairs. Wow, what a roller coaster. What a roller coaster of a life just like the life of a mother, filled with great joys and great pains, followed by really, really high highs and really, really low lows. And you so gracefully know how to navigate those things in life so much better than the rest of us do. But this story is not just simply a, a, a heartwarming story with a good ending. It seems like they live happily ever after, but there's so much more to this story that I think we can learn today. So here's what I wanna share with you as we close today. I wanna share with you four lessons that I read from this story that really for everybody in the room, you don't have to be a mom or a dad, but four lessons that, that we're really gonna hone in on for the moms that we learn from, from this mom. And here's the, the first thing that I wanna share with you today. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Here's the first lesson we learned from this story is, is this, build a place in your home where God can dwell. Build a place in your home where God can dwell. Here's what this woman realized. This woman realized that the presence of God was on Elisha. He knew it. Like she just knew. Like when he speaks, I can tell God is speaking through him. Like when he, like I, it's just, I don't know what it is. It's like this aura that he has about him that I know that this man is, is a man of God. And she told her husband, he said, here's the deal, man. Anytime the presence of God is in our town, I want him in my house. I want the presence of God near me and near my family and my husband and my kids and my work and my home and my finances. Like 
anytime the presence of God can be near my family, I want it. So every time he comes, he's going to stay here. And I don't want him to just stay for dinner. I want him to spend the night here. So we're going to build a house, right? This woman literally built a place for God's presence to dwell. And it's kind of like that book, if you give a mouse a cookie, right? He's like, first we got to build him a room, and then he's going to want a bed. And then if he has a bed, he's going to want a table. And if he has a table, he's going to want a lamp. And then he's going to want a cookie and some milk. And so, like, they give this guy everything. In 24 hours, he could stay in their house. And for 24 hours, the presence of God was in her family. Now, for us today, I'm not asking you to go home and tell your, your youngest daughter or youngest son that they can no longer have their own room, that God needs a room in your house. I'm not asking you to turn the extra bedroom over your garage, the playroom, the man cave, the she shed, whatever you call it. I'm not asking you to turn that into like a bedroom for God. We're not setting up a shrine in our homes, okay? But there are ways that today we can make sure that the presence of God has a place to dwell in our homes. Happens in a few different ways. I mean, the first is prayer. I mean, I remember growing up, my, my parents taught my brother and I to pray. We would pray every night as a family. We would pray before every meal. My parents were constantly telling me, my mom specifically, Nathan, if something happened in my life, she would say, Nathan, I've been praying about that. God answered my prayers. Even to this day, my mom will send me a text and say, what you were talking about or what you did or what I see God moving. I've been praying for that for years and God answered the prayer. That's what great moms do. They create an environment where God's presence can dwell in their home. And so there's constant stories that I remember hearing growing up of like God's presence through prayer, like moving in my life and in my parents' life and in the life of our home. That's a way that you can invite God's presence into your family in your home. Second, prayer, obviously, number one. Number two is the word. Spending time in the word. I'm, I'm convinced of this. I've never like, pin my parents on this, but I'm, I'm convinced of this, that my mom and dad would read their Bible in such a way that I would accidentally find it. I would walk into a room and I would see my dad reading his Bible, or I'd see my mom reading her Bible. I'd walk into a room and I would see my parents on their knees praying in front of God. And they showed me that, like I've, I got to discover that. I walked into that, I stumbled into that. They created an atmosphere where my brother and I realized, hey, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to have a presence of God in your home. Every time I used to get in my car, growing up, my mom's car specifically, she would have Christian radio on. And I didn't like it at the time. I'd rather listen to something else, but not my car. My mom says, you do what I tell you to do. I remember those songs. I remember those testimonies, those encouraging things, that, those encouraging stories about, hey, this is how God is moving over here, and this is what God is doing over here. And, and every time we'd get in the car, she would have that stinking Christian radio on. And I remember those songs. And what I didn't realize is that worship was washing over me every time I got in the car with my mom. And to this day, I remember those things. Like there's a culture of worship. Like I enjoy singing those songs. I enjoy worshiping. And it was because every time we got in my mom's car, she made a place for the presence of God to dwell. And that's what good moms do. They make sure that, hey, my family, I want my family to encounter God in a real way. I want my kids, my husband, my neighbors, wh whoever comes into my house, steps into my car to understand and know who God is. That's what this Shunammite woman did. She decided to build a story onto her home for God. 
And when she did that, God decided to build a story in her life for her. How are you making room for God to dwell in your family, in your life, in your home? Second thing that, that this is going to be basic for mothers. All the mothers are like, duh. I'm, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but it's a good reminder for me. Moms know this. Uh, number two, you got to remember you can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Everything that this woman gave to God, God returned a hundredfold. Because she realized you can't outgive God. This woman gave what she could, and in return, God gave her the one thing she didn't have, the thing she couldn't afford, the thing she couldn't make and produce on her own. You want to know why? Because she decided to give God first. She decided to be generous with her life first. Her generosity led to Elisha essentially saying, what can I do for you? What can I do? How can I help you? Which gave her the son that she always wanted, the son that she could never figure out how to have. And the irony is, the same room that she built for the presence of God to dwell was the same room that God performed his greatest miracle in her life. Can you imagine being that mom? You're sitting in this extra room that you paid for that you worked hard for, that you sacrificed for, that you said, all right, God, I'm going to build a place for your presence to dwell. And in your darkest hour, that is the setting in which God meets your needs. That is where God shows up. That is where God connects with you. You want to know why? Because you can't outgive God. No matter what you do, God's going to return it. God's going to provide the blessing. Whatever you give to God, God gives back to you. Mothers are so sacrificial, so giving, so loving, so selfless. Gives us a great example uh, when it comes to our generosity as well. Number three is this, big, big time. When life gets hard, move towards God. When life gets hard, move towards God. Verse 20 is every parent's nightmare. This young child died in his mother's arms. And that could have been the moment where life fell apart. That could have been the moment where you asked the tough questions. Like, where are you, God? Why'd you let this happen, God? How could you, God? Like, this doesn't seem like something a loving God would do. This doesn't seem like a God that has compassion and has a plan for my life. It just doesn't seem like this is what would happen right now. But, but I want you to see what she does in that moment. I'm, I'm so inspired by what happens in verse 24. It says, so she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. She saddled the donkey. She said, hey man, get the donkey ready. We're going to God. And I don't want you to stop at a single red light between here and the Lord. Run every one of them. Do not slow down. I don't care what the speed limit is. You go as fast as you can until we get to God. At a moment where some people could have pushed away from God or been bitter at God or blamed God or had resentment towards God, this woman said, in my largest moment of disappointment, I'm gonna choose to go towards God, not away. I'm gonna go towards God. Because he has what I need. That's who I need to connect with when life gets hard. That's who I need to connect with when I'm completely overwhelmed and it feels like life is falling apart. Man, we need some more moms 
that will not turn their back on God when God doesn't give them everything they want. We need some moms that don't lose their relationship with God, but instead lean into their relationship with God when difficulty comes. We need some moms that when everything hits the fan, they don't do anything but saddle up. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. I'm not saying it's not sad. I'm not saying it's not overwhelming. But there has to be a moment where you said, God provides what I need in this moment right now, and that is where we're going. That's who I want to be with. That is where my hope lies. Moms, be a model for faithfulness, even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst when life is falling apart, even when you're facing disappointment. That's the time to lean in to God. Here's how David put it in the Psalms. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I would have gotten mad. I would have turned my back. I would have spiraled out of control. But I know God is in control. But I know God still loves me. But I know God still has a plan and I need to lean into him in this moment to figure it out. Even in the midst of suffering, Romans 5, 3 says this, not only that, but, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. See, this woman realized something, that even my moments of suffering and hopelessness can lead me to ultimate hope in God. Paul says, man, what you're going through right now, God can turn your suffering and your worst day into your greatest hope. The same bed that the kid was lying in dead was the same bed that he was lying in when God raised him back to life. Powerful reminder that all of it leads to hope. Keep saddling up, even when you're suffering, even when you're hurting, even when you don't know answers, keep saddling up and move towards God. It's exactly what she did, and God moved in a really powerful way. That's not how this lady's story ends, though. Um, in 2 Kings chapter 8, we read kind of how Elisha ties a bow on it. Elisha had told the woman whose son had been brought back to life, take your family and move to some other place, for the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. So the woman did as the man of God instructed she took her family and settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years. So Elisha, after raising his son back to life, says, you can't go home uh, because there's getting ready to be a big famine. You're not going to have any food. You're not going to have any water. You're not going to have any money. You're not going to be able to get a job. All your crops are going to die. All your livestock is going to die. You're going to lose everything if you go back home. So for seven years, she goes and stays in the land of the Philistines. But after the famine ended, she returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to see the king about getting back her house and land. As she came in, the king was talking with Gazi, the servant of Elisha. The king had, had just started talking to Gehazi and said, uh, hey, tell me some stories about the great things that Elisha did. You got anything like, do you see anything crazy? Do you see God do anything wild? Through this, through this man of God. And Gehazi was telling the king about the time that Elisha had brought a boy back to life. Elisha 
just happened to be sharing this story, the, the servant, as the woman was walking in, was telling a story about the Shunammite woman at that very moment. Coincidence, huh? <laughs> at that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in to make her appeal to the king about her house in the land. Look, my lord and king, Gehazi explained, here's the woman now. And this is her son, the very one Elisha brought back to life. Is this true, the king asked her? And she told him the whole story. So he directed one of his officials to see that everything that she had lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. (laughs) Faithfulness always pays off. Write it down. Don't forget it. Faithfulness always pays off. Now, there might be a seven-year gap where you find yourself in the middle of a famine, where every night you're praying prayers and every morning you're praying prayers and, and you got big questions for God and it doesn't seem like he's listening and it doesn't seem like he's moved yet. Faithfulness always pays off. Stay faithful. Make a dwelling place for God's presence in your home. Continue to remind yourself that you cannot outgive God. His generosity is greater than you can ever imagine. And even during your darkest moments, lean in to God. And I'm telling you, faithfulness always pays off. It always will. I promise you God is faithful. That will never change. If you will stay focused on that, and you will lean into him, then you'll understand that even seven years later, God was still working in this woman's life. God was still making miracles happen. God was still restoring what was lost, what she was convinced would never be regained in her life. Just when life got good, life got bad again, and then God stepped in and made another way. I don't know where you're at in this story. Maybe you find yourself in the middle of a seven-year famine where you've seen some ups and you've seen some downs and you're beginning to think that your best days are behind you. That those prayers that you've been praying are falling on deaf ears. Let me remind you this. Faithfulness always pays off. You got a son or daughter that's not here, that's far from God. You got a family issue that you're bringing to God and you don't know what's going on. Like you don't see a way out. Faithfulness always always pays off. Don't doubt me on that. Always pays off. Remain faithful to God and watch how he moves. For some of you, you're in the middle of a great season where you're experiencing, man, just some wins after a long, dry season. Man, that's, that's incredible. Remember that you can't outgive God. Remind yourself you're here because of God's faithfulness, because of his generosity, because of how much he loves you. I don't know where in the story that you are, but I can tell you these lessons that we can learn from this incredible Shunammite woman. This mom that in the midst of a roller coaster of a life, she looked at God and said, I don't care if we're way up here or way down here. I don't care if I have everything or I don't have anything. I will remain faithful to you. I will trust in you that you have a plan, that you will make a way, that these prayers are not being unheard, that I've just got to learn how to trust in your timing and that you're going to be faithful no matter what. That's my challenge for you today, to to learn these lessons from, from this mom and to be women 
and men and followers of Jesus of great faith, knowing that our faith has legitimacy based on the faithfulness of God. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for this nameless woman, this selfless, giving, sacrificial, faith-filled woman. A woman that knows what it's like to hurt that knows what it's like to be without, but a woman that trusted you the same, that remained faithful to you the same, that never stopped believing. And so God, I pray that your spirit right now would whisper into the hearts of moms in the room, a reminder to stay faithful, to keep praying, to lean into God, no matter what happens, that you are faithful, that you are trustworthy, that you do have a plan, that you love us and we can rely on you. Remind us of those things as we're reminded of your goodness and faithfulness today. I pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.